Welcome to Stock Talk Podcast, where topics are covered and questions are answered across all parts of the show stock industry. Get ready to learn and laugh with your hosts, Trevor Kirkpatrick and Corey Edge. Wow, I think I'm still recovering from the weekend and last week, but this episode brought the life right back into me. I'm telling you what. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, uh, I too am still on the rebound of last week's events, which were very, very good. Speaking of very good uh, in last week's events, I had a lot of fun with the Walton crew. Oh, man, I bet. I'm jealous. I miss those those folks. Yeah, yeah. Great people. Um, they they webcast the junior shows, the open shows, the sale, um, which is so valuable to our industry. I can't tell you how many people uh, I got texts from like, hey, uh, what did you think of that one in class or or remind me the board that that one's out of or stuff like that. And, and it's just such a great tool for our industry. And uh, thank you to Walton Webcasting for all that you do for us, for the show stock industry. Walton Webcasting, livestock, like you've never seen before. Love their support of this this podcast, We Call Stock Talk, man. They're, they're a great part yeah. of it. Yep, yep, yep. No doubt. Um, yeah, we, uh, we had a good week last week. How was, how was the Buckeye Livestock Expo? It was very good. Um, I've got to find the, the total numbers, but I'm guessing we had just under a thousand head of livestock there that last weekend. Uh, Wayne County was, uh, excellent. Uh, Wayne County Fairgrounds there in Ohio, Worcester, Ohio. The community was great. Uh, heard a lot of good things. Uh, you know, it's, you've got those people who complain and, and they gripe a little bit or there's not enough room or they didn't get to pin by their buddy or this or that. But when Sunday rolls around, we got a outpour of thank yous and text messages and, uh, it was good. It was really hot. Um, I want to give a shout out to Jason Corey, past, uh, guest and good friend. And then also Kane Austin, uh, did an incredible job. Uh, we put the showmanship and the hog ring through the loops. I mean, they had to jump through all kinds of hoops and, uh, yeah, but yeah. Then, then, then some limbo, (laughs) holy buckets. Uh, but we, we, we do an overall showman of all divisions and it was tough. I mean, it was real tough, but that's kind of the intention, but we had incredible sponsors, Weaver Sullivan's and, the list goes on to donating boxes and we had a firing um, award that was engraved Buckeye Livestock Expo champion breeding guild on the side champion market hog. So oh I thought that was kind of cool, but Sweet. yeah, it was exhausting. I felt like a very bad built piece of livestock that should not be driving as long as I did on Sunday. I was hurting. My feet still hurt. <laughs> well, you're, you're kind of bred to be bow legged. Um, so I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. For my, sure. My joints are my joints are still recovering too. Yeah. That's the thing about putting on a livestock show. And uh it just I mean if if you haven't put on one yet, it will make you appreciate the ones that you go to and get to sit back at your pen. And it will also make sure that you go get off your butt and thank the ones who do put it on. Yeah. Um that no, is no something. doubt about it. But uh no doubt. I will say too, uh, before we get any further, showpig.com has been a continued sponsor. 
and Show Cattle Connection. Um, I think this guy on this episode might know a thing or two about that topic, but Show Cattle Connection is a very fresh face to sell and market your cattle or genetics or whatever you might need. Show Cattle Connection is the place to do it, along with the Wint Group umbrella. Yes, and also last week, uh, Kevin Wint is the... uh, the guy that sells the Berkshires mm-hmm. at type conference and several other, um, you know, shows and events for us. And boy, it was a good time being up there. And you could tell that, uh, you know, that guy has, has a brain that has changed our industry and man, we had, we had a good time up there. He, uh, he judged the junior guilt show, uh, with Mr. Ben Cooley from Colorado. And, uh, I tell you what, <laughs> the, uh, so the Berkshire show is very, very good. Like very, very good. We can talk more about that uh, here in a minute, but this, uh, this guilt walks in in class and the open show and there, there's a junior exhibitor that's showing it. And I'm standing up by the announcer stand where, where Kevin is. And he says, oh, where was that one at in the junior show? I said, well, you saw her. <laughs> I said, fourth overall Berkshire. He goes, I didn't see her soon enough. He didn't, he didn't judge the Berkshire ring. He's, he says, that's a neat animal. She ends up being a high seller, a high selling guilt 7,000, but nice. it was just, a, it was just kind of funny to interact with him there like that. But yeah, we had uh we had a very good week. Um, the Berkshire breed was, was there in full force in Springfield, despite uh, some inclement weather and I saw lots of rain. Whoa. Yeah. Um, just just insane um and it was very very well attended there i mean the auction uh i mean people sitting four or five rows deep and standing all around everywhere uh we had a great sale uh i had a holy buckets moment all right let's get into this because it's catching popularity i was in the ring taking class placings and such and some several people turned around said hey you got a holy buckets moment this week. So, my friend, you've got a beautiful brain. What was your yeah. holy buckets moment this week? So, um, good Berkshire Boar show. Very good Berkshire Boar show. And, you know, there was some some talk back in the barn that everybody kind of was gravitating towards um, a, a young boar and also the reserve boar. So, the champion reserve boars come out of the same class. And uh, a lot of people were just telling me that they thought this reserve bore had some some changing pieces. And I wasn't really sure what he was going to bring or who he was going to go to um, because there was so much interest on him. And so that bore comes in the sail ring. And, you know, I, at this point in time, I had never been a part of an auction uh, up on the block that started the way this one did no sooner than went asked for 10,000. There was a bid. Whoa. I'm thinking, Oh boy, here we go. Uh, I did not have to give a single speech on that board other than when he first walked in the ring, kind of told him about the family, the firm, uh, black and gold swine genetics of Missouri and, uh, bore ends up selling for 80,000. Nice. Mr. Randy Shipley buys. Whoa. I yeah. like. 
Yeah. So, so then, uh, after the Berkshire sales over with, I go up and I congratulate, uh, the crew at black and gold. And, um, then I, then I hear a story. This boar, um, had, had a litter mate brother, uh, and some, some guilt they were keeping and they had him entered, but really didn't have any intentions of bringing him. They didn't know if he was going to look the part or whatever, uh, ends up getting, uh, getting involved with the Williams family of Missouri. Very, very competitive show family. And, uh, they, they are kind of feeding on this boar for about three weeks leading up to the show get him broke. And, uh, he tells me his dad passed away earlier this spring. His name was, was Mike. They called him, they called, so they nicknamed the born Mikey and, uh, and they had, they'd never really sold a piece of livestock, um, for this kind of money before. And the family was just so gracious and thankful. And, uh, to learn that, uh, his, his dad just passed away and it was kind of a dream of his to always bring a, a boar to a type conference, um, you know, and, and so well and, and everything like that kind of brought everything full circle. And I, I walked away from that conversation, like, Holy buckets. That is pretty cool. That what is an a- awesome story for an awesome family, a great boar. I think he's going to do some pretty cool things for the industry too. So I think, uh, Shipley's going to call him change up. So for you Berkshire breeders out there, people just wanting to learn a little bit more change up at uh, Shipley high selling Berkshire boar. Shipley stepping it up. I like it. Yeah. Big time move for Randy. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. That's cool. And, and uh, probably an up and coming, keep an eye on the black and gold. Oh yeah, for sure. Probably tiger related. I'm sure like Mizzou. Uh, I would, I would guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. So my uh, my holy buckets moment kind of comes in in uh, two forms. One is very short and funny. The other one not funny at all. Um, so the funny one was we had uh, a lot of younger, smaller hogs there because Wayne County Fair is a September show. So uh-huh. we're thinking these hogs are you know between eighty and. 100 pounds you know they're still growing in their immature stages but uh so it was a good good outlet for those families to come in but there was also some that were not trained yet but they just kind of got them out to a show and one of these barras does the oh oh, 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 and circles clear around the ring i mean this thing was doing victory laps i think it won its class nice barra and uh (laughs) it just took off right to the gate did not see the bars we've all seen it before this pig did not stop i'm talking full-fledged wham and if and if he had an eight foot or eight inch long muzzle snout he now had probably a seven foot long or inch long the thing <laughs> smacked it pretty hard so i was like holy buckets actually that was one of the times where somebody was like hey is that going to be your holy buckets moment and i was like well you got a point uh, that was a short, funny one. The one that's not so funny is uh, we ask all of our exhibitors that pin their animals to clean out their pins to help us out because that's part of our job as the committees to keep the fairgrounds clean and get the pins cleaned out. And we had massive amounts of big, 
dumpster things uh, that they could put manure in, which many did, and I was very thankful of that. However, some didn't, um, and we ended the show at, I'm going to say, 4 o'clock, 3.34, and did not leave that fairgrounds until 7.30 because we were cleaning out every single pan, pin by hand, by shovel, and I can't even complain because I had to work on Monday. Half of the committee had to come back on Monday to finish cleaning up, and they didn't get done until late in the day on Monday. So when I said to really thank the committees that put on these shows, and I know I'm preaching to the choir with a lot of the folks who listen because they do put on shows or NJSA staff or CPS staff, you know, you guys, ABA or, you know, the, all the junior nationals that are put on. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir there and I know that, but the majority of people who just show up and take it for granted, stop and think about when you're asked to clean your pen out or when you're asked to put maneuver in a certain position or when you're asked to do those small little itty bitty things, it takes about 10 minutes, freaking do it. Because these committees are putting hours and thousands and thousands of dollars, some their own money, to put on shows. And you can't clean out your own freaking pen. It takes you 10 minutes and there was plenty of resources there. It's stupid. And I was, at the end of the day, I was hurting because I'm bad built. And my wife was helping. We had volunteers that jumped in and helped, thankfully. And, of course, the committee was awesome. Like I said, I can't complain because I was only there for the weekend and most of them came back for Monday. But I was just like, holy buckets. Are you serious that people still didn't clean out their pens? They just decided to leave and, and couldn't help out. I will say majority of them were cleaned out and I'm very thankful, but all I wanted to do is just put that out there for, 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 for folks who are going to the next show and are just asked to do the little things. Just do it. Just, just yes. do it. But that was my holy buckets moment because I was dripping buckets. I could have filled a couple up. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's uh, there's nothing more uh, frustrating than putting on a show, providing direction, and nobody, you know, and then you still got people that that don't pay attention or they can't listen or they just refuse to not follow the rules. It, uh, you know. It's, it's not, we don't, we don't ask these things of people just because we want to exactly, you know, or just, just because we want to make their lives harder. Um, it's not the case at all. So good. Uh, that was a good thing to, to point yeah, out there. It so was definitely. Holy all right. Moment. Holy buckets. I'm ready for something here. All right. So we, we have got to do this. All right, folks. The hotline is popping right now and i am so thankful all we have to do Corey, is say no breed ship i'm showing this week sorry you guys aren't calling in and poof yeah it happened. blew up blew up overnight literally so uh you guys should be familiar with the with this name that we got this caller that we have this this week because he is no stranger to breed him ship him show him let's bring him in hey stock talk nation this is Derek jeffries from kentucky uh, a little disappointed in everybody that didn't have a premium trip from show last week, so we decided we'd put one in so we could get everything rolling. Caveats for this week is you get to pick the species you like. This is not species-specific. Breeding trip from show so everybody can get their thinking caps on. 
one of the males has to get cut. The animal that is shown will be your only show animal for the year. These are all flushmate litter mates. Animal number one, the male. Best male ever born at your place. Even multiple other breeders come to the barn and they stand at his pen with their jaws at the floor. Tricky front end on him, enough mass for even a first-year family can make him a class winner at your Texas major show if they get him broke. True man among boys. Caveat is he's the slightest bit off-colored and he may not classify in the intended breed. Animal number two, male. If the animal described in the first option is the best on your place, this one runs a very close second. A little more moderate in his design, giving the advantage of a bigger, more explosive upper hip. Running gear rivals a ballerina. Doesn't have the extras of the freak brother, but surely has enough of everything to get it done at your big show in a great family's hands. Color is no issue. His numbers and alphabet are also better than the first male discussed. Animal number three is the only female in the flush litter. Closer resembles the donor that you doodled in your notes in your freshman year lab class. The kind of cow, you, donor style that families are built around. She would make anyone a player in one generation. She even makes commercial sires offspring markable as show stock. Perfect utter teach structure, number alphabets are ideal, age right to make a big push for your target show, and then make you a pile of money. Breed them, ship them, show them. Freak, slightly off-colored male. Safer bet, better blood work male, and that female that we all dream about. Keep those coming in, and look forward to hearing what you all have to say. Are you serious that just very well maybe other than possibly the polar bear uh <laughs> referencing freedom ship i'm showing we had last year that this this is special this is a new kind of good uh mr jeffries you just you crushed it um this this is a tough one i'm here's the species i'm gonna pick I'm going to pick sheep. Okay. I'm a sheep guy. That's what I breed. That's going to probably make this a little easier on me to do it that way. So I think if I'm going to, if I'm going to breed one, I'm probably, uh, probably going to breed option two, the male that is just unreal in terms of upper hip skeleton's good uh numbers look right dna's good uh things that would make probably uh those things breed on typically if you're flushing anyway um it's not always the best looking most complete freak show uh that ends up being the best as far as like breeding I feel like a lot of people cut the best looking ones that are hard to make as far as males go to go try to win a show. Mm. So it's kind of where I'm at there. Now it's tough to say that because then you have the female option um, that could possibly generate you a lot of money, but I'm thinking long-term if I could breed, if I could breed a buck lamb, that's just killer good. You could sell some semen um, just, yeah, very, very good. Um, I'm probably going to show the you. Probably going to show the you because I think long term that would help uh, with 
your your ability to go on and uh, sell some extra semen, things like that, out of the buck. So if you go and win a bunch of shows, uh, people see that one out. They're like, man, I want a piece of that. And then I'm probably just, maybe I'm not a risk guy. I don't know. I should be at times, but I'm going to ship the one that's a little questionable on Keller that might may or may not get classed out. See, yeah, that's intriguing because the way that Derek described it was that's the one that your jaw hits the floor. Yeah. And I would would love to know what the color is and do we got to send a picture to Corey Edge to make sure if it's a Berkshire, we're good to go or if there's, you know, whatever it is. That's that's interesting because if he's that good, it's tough. But see, I, th- I would think of the if between the males, that'd be the one you'd want to cut and show so you can go win a big one. Right. Yep. And so, yeah, but then you got the one that is good numbered, that is probably a little bit more complete, that is good colored, that you wouldn't have any question marks about, that is still a flesh mate or litter mate to the one that is questionable. So... so questionable i see where you're going here so i'm i'm thinking pig brain obviously because that's like the only one i have but i'm thinking i'm thinking we show the one that can be shown that isn't questionable because i'm one of those the female no the 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 good numbered good mark good marked uh you're gonna show that one oh yeah the male because you're you're gonna ship the freak what are you doing here? I'm this is crazy. <laughs> I'm mind blown. This is this is so good. I'm gonna change I'm gonna end up changing my mind four or five times before this is over with. This is great. Gonna get a lot of debate. The one thing that I'm gonna do is I'm breeding the female because there's two brothers, regardless of what happens, that backs up her story. Mm. So in my my thought, if that female is that good, the one that we've always dreamed about, the thing is not leaving my farm. Period. I'm breeding her. She's going to get blown up because she's going to have a brother that's going to tell her story. Uh, I like where you're going. So, and the other thing too about a female is that you could still capitalize on the genetics. You could flush that one. You can make more of them. Yep. <sighs> yep. All right. So okay. I'm, that's All what right. I'm doing. I'm sold. I'm sold on that. I'm breeding the female. I'm the I'm the type of 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 stockmen that I, if I've got one that's questionable and it's at the show, I won't sleep. I probably won't eat. I'll be embarrassed if it gets kicked out. If I haven't already sent 35 photos to all of my peanut gallery and the show committee. And although they say, I think it's okay, go ahead and bring them. I'm sitting there scared to death. And I, it, and I'm thinking about the level of career and inexperience that I'm at or experience. I, I want a, every time out to be a good one. So if I've got one that's questionable, I'm going to take the brother that isn't. Okay, here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find a loophole because I can do this. This is our this is our this is our deal. So I'm going to I believe he he did ask to maybe pick a species and a breed. So I'm going to pick sheep and I'm going to pick hampshires. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to ship the safe one and I'm going to show the other one 
And if, you know, obviously in the Southwest, you don't have to worry about clashing in a medium wool is a medium wool down there, but in the Midwest, uh, you know, hamps, whatever, if I get kicked out of the hamps, I could show in the crosses. That's true. If it's that good, it ain't going to matter. Right. So that's what I'm, that's, I found a loophole. I'm showing the freak. I'm breeding the U and I'm shipping the average one. I don't know why I wanted to breed the average. Well, he's not average. He's good, but he's the safe bet. We could even do Hampshire hogs too, really. Cause if they've got, you know, the breaks, the plane of their lip or, you know, something stupid like that, let's roll with the crosses, bring it on. And then you get somebody who buys them for some cash. If he's that good and you're making good pigs, period. Good livestock's good livestock. Yep, 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 yep. Interesting, Derek. Okay. You're you've got a beautiful brain. That was incredible. Hmm. Well, uh, I will say we've got several more on the hotline, but it's only going to last a couple weeks. Keep them coming. Uh, the hotline number is two three four three two zero zero four five seven. Give us a breed them, ship them, show them, or a shout out. Uh, we've got several. We actually got a Canadian buddy I want to bring in real quick. That's got a quick shout out. Hey boys, Kyle Stockdale down here, Tie Vision Sharpening Clipper Repair in Canada, Ontario. Um, yeah, I just want to tell you, love all the all the content, love all the episodes, love what you guys are doing, and kind of make uh, make those long days working on clippers or working in the barn uh, go a little faster. Keep up the great work. See you around. All right. Well, with that being said, Corey, it's time to talk some cattle. It is. And I I visited with Tyler a long time ago. That's probably been over a year about maybe wanting to get him on the podcast. Then a couple of weeks ago, I reached out to him again. Uh, thought maybe schedules were going to align pretty good. They get back from junior nationals. He's going to kind of want to unwind a little bit. And that's what happened. So, Folks, we have got, um, I'm just going to call him the premier shorthorn breeder in the country, given the amount of shows that they won. Uh, a rising star in the Angus breed. He's been on a hot streak here the last couple of years. Folks, we have got a legend in the making on the podcast. Welcome, Mr. Tyler Cates. Well, Tyler, thanks for uh, agreeing to jump on the podcast. We talked a few weeks ago about getting on, and then I was gone all week in Springfield. You were gone all week at Shorthorn Junior Nationals. So finally got some time. We could do a little recap. Congratulations. I think you had three of the top five. Is that right? It is. Thank you. It was, yeah. a, it was a great show. The, uh, the theme looked pretty fun. Shorthorn Safari, something like that. It looked uh, looked pretty fun. So, well, before we uh, dive too far into this, why don't you tell listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and kind of how you got started in the uh, the industry. Okay. Well, I'm Tyler Cates, and I'm a third generation uh, Shorthorn breeder. Uh, my grandfather Rex Cates, he started. Uh, he just was multifaceted livestock farm. I mean, hogs. I don't think we had sheep, but we had chickens and you know, feedlot and grain farming. And uh, my dad, Brian, and my uncle, Randy, just basically started through 4-H. And shorehorns is kind of what they 
uh, liked the best. Um, then, you know, as my dad and my uncle, they went to college, uh, they both came back and that's when they really got serious about the, the shorthorn thing. My wife and, uh, my wife and I, we started our Angus operation when we got married. Um, and that's, that started to go really well for us, but we're just, uh, like a small family farm in the middle of nowhere that's had success and been fortunate. Now, where did your dad and uncle go to college at to kind of spark? Only, yeah. My uncle, he went to Purdue and he was actually on the national, uh, champion livestock judging team under Dr. Hunsley at Purdue. And my dad prides himself on, he completed one really successful, um, semester at Vincennes <laughs> and he and John Keffer went there together and um, their claim to fame was they were the first ones to breakfast every morning. <laughs> so. uh, I think they still are the first people to breakfast every morning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some things never change. Um, no. So, so third generation, um, you know, you guys have kind of been, at it and competitive for quite some time in the uh, in the shorthorn breed. I think most people kind of know you from that that circle. But um, Sunrise Sunset Farms that was that kind of your wife's family's operation before you got married. It was. Uh, they just kind of started that with one cow when they were when Courtney was fourteen. She'd showed chickens and sheep and hogs and she decided she wanted to show some cows so they went out and got her a really bad steer <laughs> and uh then after that year they decided you know they learned a little bit and wanted to um show angus they had some family friends that kind of told them that angus breed presented some opportunities that she could get outside of 4-h and so they started buying a, a few angus kind of just one every year um, and then, you know, Courtney, she, it was just her and her mom and her dad that did it. And, you know, they didn't have, they're kind of like us. They didn't have the best of facilities, but they worked hard. And Courtney actually, she was the Miss American Angus queen. And in that same year, uh, with their, you know, 12 to 15 headed cattle, she had the reserve champion bread known Teffer at the junior nationals. Huh. So crazy. They uh so whenever we decided we were gonna do it, um, I thought it was uh the right thing to do to keep the name of the same. That's awesome. That is cool. So, so uh on on the Kate's farm side of things, I mean Corey kinda interest introduced you as you know, you had three of the top five in, in this this past show. So you you're well known in the shorthorn breed and have been for, for quite some time, but what were the biggest steps in getting that CF brand to where it is today and those kind of monumental turning points, if you will? Um, it was a lot of it through bull selection and a few cow calves. Um, you know, my, my dad always said, and it's, I think it's so true. I mean, it's, you just have to take opportunity when opportunity presents itself. And I think they were really good at foreseeing some changes. Um, coming along like when the shorns first decided that they needed to add some 
muscle in the cattle. Um, they were, I think, a little ahead there. And then um, when they decided they needed to start um, softening them up and concentrating on structure, you know, they were able to select some genetics and find bulls that did that. And like currently, um, the same thing. We we were told, you know, six or seven years ago, in order for these cattle to be accepted by the industry, we had to work on our EPDs and um, we had to work on our birth weight, especially, but making the cattle easier doing. And uh, mostly we've done that with bulls. There's uh, some good stories about how just being in the right place at the right time um, takes place, which uh, there's a bull called uh, Phil Dom Cunha Dividend, which would be Trump's sire. And my dad was traveling home from Indianapolis and he stopped at a guy's place that, you know, he'd known for a long time, but never been there. Um, he stopped in there and he had a two week old, really hairy, roan, stout, kind of clubby looking bull calf. And he was sired by Cunha out of a dividend shorthorn cow. Uh, my dad ended up buying that calf that day for $2,500 at two weeks old. And, uh, that ended up being Trump's sire. <laughs> so it's kind of, you know, you gotta be, it's okay to be good at something, but you gotta be, you gotta be lucky. You gotta be in the right place at the right time. You kind of just gotta, I mean, you have to be blessed and for and fortunate too. the, uh, you know, Trump for sure was absolutely the biggest, um, stepping stone that took us from competitive to where we're able to be now. And uh, Trump was born in CD's first calf crop. Uh, my dad and uncle, they always, if they had a new bull, I mean, they really wanted to show off that first calf crop. So there was this little hairy pus gutted, like putty bull and, uh, a lot of people hated him. My dad, he's like, this is, this is the direction we're going. <laughs> but so we put all the best calves in there. So he sold in that sale. And, uh, there was two guys here, uh, one from Texas and one from Oklahoma. Uh, those families are still in the cattle business, WB Maples and Bart Stover. And they were dead set. They were going to buy that bull. Um, when the auction went off, uh, he brought $7,000 and went to a guy in Muncie, which is about a half an hour from here, named Jim Cooper. And Jim was a nice guy. He'd been here and eaten dinner the night before our sale a couple times, but never even stayed for the sale. Uh, as far as we knew, he was going to take Trump and he'd make a show stare for his granddaughter. So <laughs> we didn't really know. And uh, so after when he came to pick the bull up, he told us he only had six cows. And after he bred his six cows, if we wanted to um, turn him out and use him, uh, we could do that. I mean, we of course thought that bull was kind of going to be a changer and we're kicking ourselves for selling him that cheap. But we, uh, after the first calf crop, uh, we definitely decided we need him back. But you know, if those other guys would have built bid one more time, I would, tell you that i don't think kate's farms would ever be what it is now hmm. so like i said it's it's sometimes it's just being lucky so yeah the odds of that guy stepping in to buy him at all is just seems crazy to me 
Do you choose TMD? If you don't, you should, because Jace Tarbell at Tarbell Marketing and Design is one of the best in the industry when it comes to graphic design, marketing, and design work. Folks, he is on top of the game. He thinks outside the box. If you don't know, you should by now. Visit choosetmd.com because the difference is in the details. So you let's back up a little bit because you're, you know, you talked about your dad and uncle kind of, you know, creating a shorthorn cow base that was a little different from others as far as being ahead of the curve on injecting some extra muscle uh, in those cattle and stuff like that. Where, where did you guys originate kind of some of those early genetics? I mean, I think at the time, you know, talk about some of the premier shorthorn breeders in the country, you know, you got Sullivan and, and CYT and WHR and, and obviously Kate's farms, but you know, there was obviously some folks before you guys that had kind of set a foundation. So where did you guys kind of gather some of those, those cows and get started there? Um, well, definitely. I mean, they bought, the biggest thing is they bought a herd out of Colorado called the Heckendorf herd and their cattle were probably a little more rugged um, at that time. Um, and then the biggest breeder back then was um, Hoyt's and their base ranch was in Oregon, but they had a ranch in um, Nebraska also. And then we bought, that's where we would have bought HS Rodeo Drive through them. And then um, Granada Shorthorns was another one of the premier breeders, which was a spinoff of Premier Angus, which um, was Wilson in Indiana. And those would have been two of the places Alden Farms in Missouri uh, would have definitely been, you know, one of the premier places. There was another place called Green Ridge, uh, Merle Welch in Missouri. And, you know, my dad, he made a pretty, took a pretty simple approach. And, uh, you know, I, I don't understand why more people don't take this approach. You know, we didn't have what we wanted and we looked around and who had the best cattle what they were doing, the bulls they were using. And, you know, we basically bought their genetics, what we could afford. We tried to, um, you know, emulate the same breeding patterns and the same bloodlines and the same bulls that they were. And, uh, you know, that's, that's no different than, you know, when Sullivan and Cyclone Trace got in, they were able to get in quickly. Um, they just basically did the same thing. They, they saw that, you know, we, as long as WHR and a few other breeders were the ones that were winning, and that's where they bought all of their genetics. Mm. It makes you wonder if there's some kind of, you know, today, you, I, I guess you don't hear that as, as often. And I don't know if it's a pride thing or people are just too competitive that they want to raise their own next best one. And instead of going and finding some, uh, you know, piece that starts your herd, yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know, it, it's, it's, I guess every person's different, every operation's different. And there's still yeah. people who go out and, and, you know, look for help, but I don't think you hear that as often. I mean, I might be wrong there. Um, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, I, I hear a lot of people that will talk poorly about the direction someone takes their program in and, you know, depending on what, 
part of the country you live in and what breed of cattle you choose to raise, like your clientele base is going to be different. And you have to, if it's your own living, you know, there's a lot of people that they have a secondary income so they can just raise the kind of cattle that they want to raise and not have to worry about meeting the bottom line. But, you know, in our case, we've always, you know, we support three families on 120 head of cattle. And so the cattle business has always been simply to us supply and demand and whatever your clientele base demands, that's what you supply. And that's why I never think you should throw stones at, you know, what other people are doing. There's a guy that um, jungles farms in North Dakota that is absolutely knocking it out of the park, raising shorthorn bulls. You know, a lot of people around the country would say question what he's doing, but he's taking it serious. And I mean, just dominating and, you know, making a solid, good living doing it. So I think, uh, I think that's what one basis you should um, dictate what you do. But I do think that there's a lot of, you know, people are blinded a little bit by jealousy and pre preconceived notions of certain cattle and, and certain people. And I think if you can overlook those things, um, I think there's, lots of room for success out there. Yeah. The, the, uh, the idea that, you know, you, you have to try, you know, I don't know. It seems like a lot of people feel like if you go and buy somebody else's genetics, do the things that they're doing, they're always going to be a step ahead of you. And I don't know that that's quite the case. Obviously, like, you guys proved it with what you were able to do. Um, other people that jumped in figured out a way to, you know, take those genetics and then build upon, you know, what they had had in the past um, to make cattle like they wanted to make and and you know, help the industry. And this yeah. is this isn't really on our outline, but Tyler, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. How like in in the shorthorn business, the show cattle industry as it stands now. Um, there's really a limited amount of players at the top end right now, as far mm -hmm. as like who's consistently winning and, you know, where, where do you see like the shorthorn cattle business going? Is it, is kind of the door open now you think for some people to jump in or, or what reasons do you think people have kind of migrated away yeah. for some, whatever reason? I, I, Yep. I do think there's a, a great opportunity. And I think you, you saw that at our Shore and Junior Nationals with having, you know, record numbers of kids, record numbers of cattle. Um, there isn't as, as many breeders doing the show cattle at the top end. Uh, but there's a lot more breeders that are kind of concentrated on the commercial segment of things. And really, I mean, I, I try to explain to people how much success they're having and they don't believe me. I have to give them the actual numbers, but there's a lot of guys having good success at that. And there's a couple guys who had kind of combined the last two questions. Um, there's two young men, Mitchell Smith and Jake Nickel, uh, both of which um, are two of my good friends. We talk on a regular basis. They call me all the time with questions. Um, they've bought our genetics, did pretty much the same things that we're doing. And I think Mitchell 
had about 12 head there and won about 10 classes and won a couple of divisions and had champion bull. And I know Jake, he had, um, two heifers in the top five. Um, and he's doing a really good job breeding. And so, I mean, I definitely think that there's young people that, um, in our breed that are definitely the next generation that are going to do it. Um, you know, back to taking something and not being able to make it better. When someone came up with the original build of how to build a house, you know, the next guy that was going to build houses had to take that original build, but then had to make it better in some way. But you have to, you have to have the basics first before you can make it better. Yeah. That's that. It's a really good comparison too. I mean, that that's what, you know, we're building livestock better and better, but it's the people who yeah. put those things together. We got to remember, uh, you know, change yeah. is, is good in ways. And uh, having that, that fresh set of eyes, those young breeders coming in, and that's important. And I guess my next question is what, did, what advice would you tell some of those up-and-comers uh, maybe that haven't even made their mark yet or haven't purchased that yeah. first cow or whatever that is, to, to kind of emerge themselves in the industry in a time where it might be a little hard and challenging, but they really want to, and their passion's there. What do you tell that person? Well, not a, you do have to have the, the foundation and the basis of the cattle and the quality, but there's basically two things that my grandfather taught my dad and my dad has taught me. And there's two things that keep you in the cattle business. And number one is, outworking the competition and not being too good to do the dirty stuff. And the other thing is how you treat your customers and the integrity of how you stand behind your product. Um, Because the only way, you know, we build our business is either referrals um, from one customer to a, you know, a family friend or repeat customers. You know, there's not just every year a new high dollar heifer buyer knocking at your door. So you need those families that you work with to believe in you and trust you. Uh, and you need them to do that enough that, you know, if they have people that are um, wanting to get in, they send them to you. And then, you know, the work thing, it's uh, it's 95 here today. And every part of our operation is, or every person in it is so viable that my dad, I mean, he takes the work and the work ethic and the hard work thing to another level. I mean, he just, he never quits. He's been spraying for the last five hours, just sweating on his old cabless tractor, eating <laughs> Roundup. I mean, those are the things, I mean, he's he does a lot of the cabin. He does all the stuff that nobody wants to do, and you know, but they're the things that, you know, make Kate's Farms what they are. Man, uh, that's that's good advice, and it's uh, it's refreshing, I think, for some some to hear that you know think it's going to be easy. You know, you buy some embryos here, you you know maybe you buy a buy a cow and think that you're going to hit it off uh, right from the start. But knowing that you know the relationships are as valuable as the hard work and making sure that you're creating opportunity for yourself to be successful and knowing that it probably isn't going to happen overnight. Um, and definitely doesn't, doesn't. 
we were bad way before we were good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've been. I know what it's like to be last. Yes, and I think that's okay to know what it's like to be last. Yeah, sometimes that's your best learning tool, right there. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time I got third. I was pretty pumped. So. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, let's. We're gonna have a little fun here. So there's yep. there's one thing that the three of us have in common with each other. And that's a person. And his name is Jared Boyer. Uh, For those that have listened to us know that Jared was our livestock judging coach at Blackhawk. He actually took us to Kate's farms uh, for a a judging workout a few different times. Um, And Jared had actually worked uh, for Tyler and family uh, for a number of years. So uh, we want to tell some Jared Boyer stories and one in particular that you brought up to me uh, that I had heard before, but hearing you tell it is actually way better than trying <laughs> to tell it myself. So okay. <laughs> uh, well, and, tell them about the dead calf story. Okay. Well, Jared, I mean, Jared was a, Jared was a big part of our growing up. I mean, he was kind of, you know, before I had kids very late in life and he was probably the closest thing I had to, you know, a child, he spent his summers here and, and worked for us. And I've got lots of Jared stories, but the, the dead calf story, um, it was the morning after the sale. And I mean, we go for a month straight without, I mean, any rest. And, you know, Jared was over 21 at the time. And, you know, we, uh, we had a good time celebrating the success of that sale. Well, as usual, my dad's the first one up as usual, uh, those guys the day after our sale go on a big golf outing and he called Jared. He said, Hey, I'm not going to bother Tyler. He's like, I know he's got people picking up cattle. He's like a cow had twins last night and, uh, only one of them lived. I need you to go down and vaccinate him. So Jared, I think was kind of half awake and, uh, probably his body still felt good. And he went down and, there's just one calf there. So I guess he assumed it was, uh, of the two, the one that needed it. So he went ahead and gave it a shot, gave it a first defense bolus. And then when he, uh, treated it, the head just flopped back on the ground and <laughs> he realized over running around about 10 yards away was the live calf. So <laughs> he had treated the calf that, uh, had passed away. And I don't think it helped it at all. So, <laughs> was not the live one you're and, looking for. No, I think he had to go get a new one to treat the live one. So, <laughs> but you know, Jared, he he has lots of. I think when he was on your podcast, he maybe told you a few of his stories about how his he didn't have any end panels, and uh, I remember the first junior nationals they came to. He had, I think, she was an April yearling. And everybody knows we have to get to the show really early because we have a lot. And, you know, he was over there at four o'clock when we were setting up our shoots after we'd washed and wanting to know what time to bring her over to fit. And I said, Hey, I'll just, I'll let you know. And at seven o'clock, I mean, he had her over there standing ready to go. I'm like, have you, uh, have you fed her anything? He says, Nope. I said, well, how about this? I want you take her over and you feed her and water and let her lay down. 
and I'll send somebody over after you. So like seven hours later, we went and got his heifer to sit. (laughs) But that's just the kind of kid he was. I mean, he was eager. I mean, he was a hard worker. Him and his family, just the whole family, it's a great family. And they're always going, going, going. They don't stop to eat. They don't stop to drink. They will have her eat whatever you have or drink whatever you have straight out of your hand. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, but yeah. We, no, we we were really, I mean, we've had so many good guys through here. and We're so proud of everything they've done. Jared was very innovative when he was here. Um, you know, he built our cooler room. He built our clipping apparatus. Like he was always wanting to do something new and do something different. I mean, you could tell that he was going to be successful. I mean, the same thing is, you know, can be said, um, you know, when Tim Schaefer worked here, he, uh, he was only 19, but he had a really good eye for cattle and was just, um, you know, he really took, I didn't know like what he would be like work-wise. And I mean, he was willing to get in there and work as hard as anybody. And, you know, in my opinion, I mean, that's why his operation has been successful too. It, you know, he didn't learn that much about clipping and fitting cattle from me um, and neither Jared. I mean, basically what they learned was, you know, working and, you know, customer relations and, you know, trying to get the most out of what you got. So, yeah. Well, there's something to say about, you know, when you've got people like that, uh, the work ethic is just kind of built into them. And uh, if they end up raising their own cattle, doing their own operation and manning their own team, well, that just kind of transpires from where they came from. And uh, it's kind of neat to to see the, you know, look back of where they started and what they're doing now and all that fun stuff. And, well, there's two really good names in the cattle industry that uh, kind of went through your program. So that's got to be a good feeling. I don't know about you folks, but a good photographer makes or breaks the show, the wedding, the graduate, whatever. You got to have a good photographer no matter what you're doing. And a good photographer that I know is Legacy Livestock Imaging. Their team is absolutely incredible, specifically in the livestock industry. When you can rely on a folk that is going to be there from start to finish, inside the ring, outside the ring, taking amazing pictures for kids that love what they do. And we love our folks at Legacy Livestock Imaging. Go to LegacyLivestockImaging.com to purchase some amazing images that they have and to schedule your next event. LegacyLivestockImaging.com so uh, this is another fun thing Corey and I kind of like to, to talk about and you see in my my show pig world we don't really have a fitting team so I like to kind of ask all the cattle people uh, you know the, their dream team and we all know that the CF cattle uh, you know if there's one that is super clipped up good looking probably had the hands on it by uh, the Kate's farm so if you could assemble your absolute ultimate best fitting team of all time what would it be? Uh, that's pretty hard. I, <laughs> you know, we always talk about a couple of things. Like, first of all, like in order to get that animal there, I mean, it's, it starts with the people that are doing it every day at home. And, you know, right now, I mean, I have Kyle Shuffler who he got, he was the Sullivan herdsman of the year. And, 
mean, I'd probably take him on my fitting team <laughs> before anybody. And, but at home, like he and his fiance, Lauren, I mean, they, they kill it and do a great job. And I said, the rest of my family does everything to allow us to do that. But we, uh, we always have the most fitters of any operation at shows just, you know, last year in Louisville, we fit 42 one day and 38 the next. And I mean, you try to assemble as many good guys as you can and you try to kind of divide them up. But, you know, the guys on our crew, I mean, in order for it to all work, you can't have an ego. I mean, it all has to get done and every one of them has to get fit. But uh, I think you could probably make a dream team out of the guys that have worked here between, between uh, Jay Van Horn and Tim and Jared and Kyle. Um, I think I could, I could fit with those guys and they could make me look good. Well, that's yeah. probably half the battle, isn't it? You've got to kind of gel together. You would just want to go grab somebody that just got a nice steady hand and not, not give a damn about anybody else no, on your team, you know? No. And I, one reason, you know, I think those guys are probably, um, you know, we talk about it all the time that, I mean, there's, there's people that are technique wise and just smoother and better than all of us, but it's, you know, showman's fitting cattle. There's only one job and it's to know what's wrong with that animal, know how to fix it and how to, you know, how to show it out of them or how to clip it out of them. And, you know, it's beneficial when you know the cattle and you're around the cattle because what they look like in the chute isn't. And, uh, you know, that's one thing I think that separates all those guys is um, they understand that more than a lot of them. Uh, I, I think there's there's so many good fitters and, you know, can do pretty and good stuff. But as a livestock judge, it doesn't have to be pretty. It just has to be right. Mm. So, yeah, that, uh, I just was thinking, oh, is it okay? It was at Louisville this past fall. And I'm, I'm kind of like standing there at Smith stalls, right. Kind of across from where you guys have your shoot set up. And I saw like 30 cases of just tail adhesive. And I couldn't imagine all the pro I mean, if you're fitting that many, how much product, I don't want to know what your bill is. Um, it, it would be hard to tell you what just the Sullivan bill was, but <laughs> Louisville last year cost us 42,000 <laughs> to those cattle, the outside bedding, you know, the nine hotel rooms, the, you know, every time you got a crew that big and you go to get McDoubles, it's a hundred dollars, <laughs> especially now that McDoubles are now $3 instead yeah. of one. But you know, the, the, uh, the supply costs, I don't know. I would guess probably four to five thousand just for supplies. Jeez. And then like the bedding at tieouts probably the same, the bedding inside the same. But labor is labor is without a doubt the largest expense. I mean, we would have those two days employed over thirty people. Um, you know, those people are well compensated and it is, it's absolutely our biggest cost. It's our biggest cost at home, but it's the cost that's most worth it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, to, to have the right people in place and, you know, at shows and at home, I mean, we don't, 
we don't ask a whole lot. It's that everybody, like we ask a lot of time and a lot of that, but as long as they're willing to get along with everybody and listen and learn, like it's a, it's a family friendly like environment and our help like buys into that. I mean, we have fun and you know, they're all grown ups and, but they all, the way they carry themselves around my customers, I mean, is awesome. I mean, it just feeds into the business that, you know, I'm trying to run. And so it's not just the quality of the, you know, the labor, it's the, the quality of the person of the labor that really helps our, like when we're successful to show, I mean, that feeds as much into it as the quality of the work they do. Well, that is true. No doubt. A happy, a happy worker is a good worker. And yeah, boy, if you could, there's a certain number of girls that you can have before it gets bad. Like <laughs> all the girls have to like each other and get along. Yeah. You can't just bring a girl that nobody knows in. It's got to all be, you can bring a guy that nobody knows in as long as you know, he'll fit in. But there's a certain limit when you have too many girls and then you got fights. Yeah. Oh boy. I <laughs> bet there's plenty of stories there. Hey, when you're running on three hours sleep, I mean, tensions are always higher than they should be. So, yeah, I, uh, I can imagine that nobody, nobody gets asked what they want for lunch on those deals. They're probably just, (laughs) no. and it's like, (laughs) Hey, we got 15 sacks of McDoubles. Good luck. Yep. Grab what you need. If you, uh, if you don't want onions or, Ketchup. You also have to take a scrubby and scrape it off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that brings us to uh, kind of the close of, of this episode. And uh, we're going to finish with a segment that we came up with that uh, we're, we're pretty pumped up about. We've had some really good response on it so far. We call it Drop the Mic. This is Jackson Johnson with Formula Champions and Kalmbach Feeds. We trust Formula Champions to get us into the winner circle 365 days a year. Not only do we use the smooth design base feed line like 16, 17, and 18, but we also use products like hard drive and afterburner to maximize back shape and a fresh, clean look from the side. If you want to, look me up next week at Louisville, Kentucky at the Summer Type Conference so that I can give you a more personal evaluation of your show pig and help you maximize your project for the rest of the summer. Thanks, Jackson. And be sure to look those guys up at formulavechampions.com. And pretty much this is where we allow our our guests, our guys and gals that jump on and, and share their stories with us to kind of talk about things that might be weighing on their mind. Um, maybe just kind of an opportunity to, to bring up any topics of discussion or just kind of close out our episode with some final thoughts. Maybe it's advice. Maybe it's just a keep doing what you're doing uh, kind of thing. But yeah. now's your opportunity to uh, yeah. drop the mic. I don't have any groundbreaking things. Um, I guess the the biggest thing for me would be um, as an industry and, you know, as people that are all trying to achieve the same thing. I mean, there's one reason that you, you know, show livestock and it's, it's usually for youth and for kids. And it's because that 
parents want to put their kids in a wholesome environment, um, you know, more times than not in a government environment that believes in God and believes in, um, the importance of religion. It's to teach them hard work and things that where they're going to benefit the rest of life, whether they choose to do this or not. But I think, uh, we as grownups and grownup competitors tend to forget a lot of the reasons that we started doing it and did it and, and let things drive us that, um, towards negativity. And, you know, any show you're ever at, people have spent a lot of money to be there. People are tired. Um, you know, you're emotional, you know, there's a lot of pressure on the line, but you know, every time that you get ready to think something or say something like I have to do this to myself, you know, it's sometimes it's better left unsaid and get home for a couple of days and hope that every single person that was there that has their own family made it home safely. Um, and you know, get back to normal. Um, Hey, a show and cattle is a hard, a hard thing to do show and livestock, but I think we just have to remember that we're kind of all in this together and, um, cows live and cows die and shows come and go and nobody remembers who wins two years from now. But, you know, it's a lot bigger deal. Um, the people in it, I had a customer had a heifer that, uh, had been at our house and we sent that heifer down to them. Uh, she hadn't been there real long. Uh, and they called me, I mean, they were distraught that heifer had, had died and you know they were upset and I said hey I'm upset too but I said hey if you'd have called me and told me your wife had cancer or one of your kids were in an accident I said then we'd have something to be upset about Mm. like it's a cow they make more of them and I think we just that's I think if anything to give advice I mean we do take that to heart here Um, when we lose a cow say it's not a person and you know everybody in our family is healthy and I think if everybody took that approach, then I think the livestock business would be even more positive place than it already is to raise your kids. So that's how I would drop the mic. You did it. Hey, you did. Well, thanks for your time. Um, great junior nationals. Congratulations to you and, and everybody that was there. Um, and the shorthorn breed and uh, looking forward to kind of, watching this Angus thing continue to take off for you guys as well. And, and I'm sure we're on a nice roll right now. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. So we're uh, anxious to uh, get this one out to everybody and uh, look forward, look forward to seeing you down the road. I'm sure we'll be, be around soon. All right. My pleasure guys. Thanks for having me. Corey, that's another guy that uh, we need to just invite to just hang out. We ought to do that. We ought to just get all of our guests to just a VIP come and hang out and do that. That'd be quite the event. Yeah, no doubt. I I almost wonder if we couldn't make an event out of it, you know, just have, have a, something working here. Yeah, maybe maybe we do like a stock talk gala or something and mm-hmm. maybe do a benefit auction, have everybody from past episodes show up and just just a nice social event now we're talking uh oh okay
anyway, yeah, that's uh, we'll we'll keep that one in the back of the brain. Um, but yes, I you know Tyler, um, you know since since Taylor and I moved to Indiana, have uh, I've gotten to know Tyler just a little bit better here over the last year or so. And uh, I tell you what, if I was to show um, get involved in the show cattle thing heavily. Um, that would be a guy I would rely on pretty heavy to, to, uh, help get a start. And obviously you, I mean, you heard some of the names, uh, those folks that know, uh, Kate's farm, uh, you, you gotta recognize the folks that have been through that program that have worked there, uh, alongside Tyler and, and the rest of the crew that have gone on and made just incredible waves in the show cattle industry. And it's all because they're just good people. That's right. And when you got good people, you get good customers. When you get good customers, you win shows. And look what when you win shows, people come back to you. That's right. And then you can make a living doing it. Oh my. He was awesome guy. I remember going there at BAG and uh just hanging out and showing us around the farm. I mean, it was one of those visits that you could just sit there and talk and not have to worry about, oh, can we go yet? I mean, that was one you could stay for hours and Really appreciated his time. Uh, it's kind of cool to hear some of the names that he mentioned that's been through that program and doing their own thing at a very high level now. So kind of speaks volumes of that operation and what he's got going on there. So, uh, wow, it's been it's been a ride. It's been a great episode. I'm looking forward to next week. We've got uh, several guests in the making, so we just got to decide which one we're going to pop off first. Uh, guys, don't forget, we do have our website up, stocktalk-podcast.com. We've got hats and uh, some t-shirts for sale. And we have our hotline at 234-320-0457. Give us a call. Give us a shout-out. Freedom Ship and Show them is always there for your pleasure. We will see you next week.